So tonight we're going to continue our study through the Old Testament book of Exodus. In these selections from chapter 5 and 6, Moses makes his first plea with Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go. The fallout is not good. Here we go. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went and said to the Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, and they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice, his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go uh, three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you may make the rest of them make them rest from their burdens. The same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks, as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, Let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men, that they may labor at it and not pay, and pay no regard to the lying words. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, You shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron, who were waiting for them, as they came out from the Pharaoh. And they said to them, The Lord, look on you and judge, because... You made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. But the Lord said to Moses, You shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land." Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. This is the word of the Lord. So I don't know if you guys have ever had like a, like a, like a moment with a piece of art. Um, like if you've ever like been like impacted by art, some of you guys are like, that seems like weird hippie stuff that happens. Um, there was this guy, Mark Rothko, and he painted like literally just like squares of color, and people were had still like break down emotionally when they looked at them and just undoes them. Um, and I, I had a moment with a piece of art um, maybe about 10 years ago, and it was a piece of art by a British artist named Damien Hurst, who's a contemporary British artist. And I was in London pretending to be a Christian so I could go on this mission trip to London. And uh, it was great. And because um, yeah, someone else pays for you just to travel. Um, it's fantastic. But anyway, um, so I was at this gallery. And the piece is not like a typical thing you would think of. It is a large glass enclosure, about 15, 16 feet long. And it's filled with formaldehyde. And in there is a 13-foot tiger shark. That's the artwork. That's the piece of art. And... Um, the thing about it is when you come up to the piece, it's just in a gallery space. It's just kind of strange that there's just like this dead shark. And But when you get up to the glass, you begin to, like at least I did, I started kind of like 
breathing heavy, like my heart rate started rising. Um, because, you know, you're a few inches away from a large shark. And um, on the one hand, like, you know that it's not alive, like, you know that it's dead. But also, like, you respond to it sort of viscerally as if it weren't dead. You see the teeth. And the title of the, of the piece is The Physical Impossibility of Death in the Mind of Someone Living. Um, you're supposed to have this reaction, like, when you go to it. Because even though you know that the truth is that it's dead, like, you can perceive that it's dead, your imagination somehow can't, like, wrap around the reality of it being dead. And you respond as if it was alive. And um, your imagination is a, is a wonderful thing. Your imagination can help you see things that you can't see with your eyes or sort of experience with your senses. Um, and you can, ha- you can see these wonderful uh, worlds, but sometimes we're confronted with things that are so powerful, stimuli that are so powerful, that our imagination can't get on board with what's really true, if, if, if you know what I mean. You see the teeth, um, you are afraid of sharks, and you respond even though you know that it's dead. And these two chapters in Exodus are sort of the final moments before God is about to do something amazing. Um, he's about to send these plagues on Egypt, and there's going to be darkness and like frogs and boils and lice and all kinds of craziness. And he's going to part the sea for his people to walk through. It's going to be this amazing, miraculous thing. And you can't really understand what God's doing there unless you understand that God is waging war against Egypt and against Pharaoh. But it's not just a physical war. Like if he wanted to, he could just annihilate the Egyptians and they could walk out. But he's waging a war for the imagination of Israel. Like he doesn't want to just win them as people. He wants to win their imagination. And he wants to capture their imagination. And so this, this battle, in a sense, is for the hearts and minds and the dreams of Israel. Are, are their imaginations going to be captivated by Pharaoh and Egypt? Or are they going to be captivated by the Lord? And I think it would be a mistake for us to look at a passage like this and think, you know, this is a story about things that may or may not have happened long ago in the past um, with no bearing on our lives. Because this battle of God trying to win imaginations and dreams is a battle that's still ongoing. It's the battle that's always been going on since the beginning of time. It's the good versus evil battle. It is God going to war, if you will, against the things that are opposed to him. The world, what's what the Bible calls the world, the flesh, and the devil, sin. That there is this this battle going on, and it's being waged in your heart. And the question is, who is going to have your imagination? Who is going to have your dreams? Is it going to be God, or is it going to be sin? This battle is raging, and what I want us to see from this passage is the first um, way there's a battle raging is for your submission. There is a battle raging in your heart, and you probably don't realize it, for your submission. Look at, look at the beginning of the passage you, in, on your handout or if you have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we have three Bibles in the back. You can just take one without being awkward and asking anyone about it. Um, <clears throat> Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh and they say, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. 
hey, our God has appeared to us and he says, you need to let us go so we can go serve our God. But Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? Moses is saying, we have to go serve our God. He's appeared to us. He's told us we have to go and serve him. And Pharaoh says, no, I don't know your God and you may not leave. Get back to your work. He says, get back to your work. Continue serving me. And something you've got to realize about Pharaoh and the Egyptian world is that Pharaoh isn't just the king of Egypt. Pharaoh is, in a real sense, the god of Egypt. He is held by everyone in Egypt to be literally the son of God. So you don't approach Pharaoh just as, uh, as a monarch, as a civic leader. You approach Pharaoh as a deity. Okay, so when, when the Israelites come and they say, the Lord, we have to obey the Lord, it's not just like, oh, that's a weird religion that my slaves have. It is an affront to him. It is another God coming in and saying, I have rights over these people that you don't have. Um, and like my daughter, some of you guys, some of you guys had a tea party with our daughters over the weekend. It was really sweet. But my three-year-old likes to pretend to be a queen. And she'll say, I'm the queen. Bow down to me. Um, and everyone does because she's freaking powerful. Um, but it's not like that. We go, okay, this is fun. I'll bow down to you. Like this is a legitimate threat. Because if you're a slave in Egypt, Pharaoh doesn't just demand your labor, like your blood, sweat, and tears. He demands your worship and your submission. You must bow the knee to Pharaoh if you're going to live in Egypt. And um, he demands that you submit to him. And if you've ever tried to like push back against an injustice that you see, or you've tried to like change some of the nastier habits in your life, or you've tried to overcome an addiction, you'll realize that sin or like our activities that we do aren't just things that we do, that we are actually submitting and worshiping Something. Um, Kendrick Lamar on his new album this is really good. Um, it's not new anymore. It's new in my life. So I've lived so many years. Um, but there's a there's a track on his new record um, called For Sale, and he channels this character called Lucy. And Lucy is Lucifer or Satan, the devil. And um, he's he's Lucy is talking, and uh, Lucy says, "I loosely heard prayers on your first album. Truly, Lucy, don't mind." Because at the end of the day, you'll pursue me. Lucy, go get it. Lucy, not timid. Lucy, up front. Lucy got paperwork on top of paperwork. I want you to know that Lucy got you. All your life I watched you, and now you've all grown up to sign this contract if possible. He's making a great point. Uh, Satan, the sin, whatever you want to get at that, has you. He wants you. Sin is going to is trying to get after you, and it works very, 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 very hard, which you know if you've tried to put up a fight against it. Um, you know, like Sauron, have you guys seen The Lord of the Rings? Okay. So you don't have to be super nerdy, like as in the days when the movies weren't out. You guys know Lord of the Rings, you know. Um, <clears throat> but Sauron, who is, who is evil sort of incarnate in The Lord of the Rings, is depicted as an eye that never blinks. It's always looking. It's a restless evil. Um, sin is trying to get you. It wants to have you. It demands your submission to it. And the reason why we gossip 
And the reason why we pursue harmful pleasures, the reason why we hurt other people, the reason why we're selfish and obsessed is because we've bent the knee to sin. It's not just something that we do. It's something that we worship. It's something that owns you. And sin is a terrible master. Like if you're going to have a master, sin is awful because sin is, is in, in every sense of this word, truly a pimp. Sin only values you for what you can give to it, for what you can do for it. And once you stop producing or once you try to put up a fight, it will hurt you. Like sin will abuse you. Pharaoh in this passage, the Israelites come and they say, hey, we need to go worship our God. And Pharaoh says, yeah, you're just lazy. What I'm going to do is I'm going to make you go back to your work. And you have to have straw to make bricks. They would mix mud and straw and bake them in the sun. And they would give the straw to them. He's like, we're not going to give you the straw anymore. You're going to have to go get the straw, but you have to make the same number of bricks. Because it's a completely unreasonable expectation. And sin loves to put unreasonable expectations on you that you will never be able to meet. You will never be able to perform up to that standard. Um, And this is the thing. When sin begins to enslave us and we bow the knee to it, you don't love it. You don't want it in your life. But you're so afraid that if you stop or you push back against it, it will hurt you. Maybe it'll kill you. If you've you've ever tried to stop drinking coffee, if you're like a morning coffee drinker, and you're like, I'm not going to drink coffee for the rest of this week because you're insane. Um, It literally affects you and hurts you. It gives you a headache. So sin wants you to submit to it, but God is battling for your submission too. I'm, 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 I'm using the word submission on purpose because it's a strong word to submit to something. God's battling for your submission first because he's really the king of the universe. He's the rightful, true, and good king. Um, Pharaoh and the gods of Egypt are small. The, the things that we worship are insignificant and false. But God is real. But God is pursuing your submission. Listen, because God wants to give you peace. And God wants to give you rest. If you you think about the things that you have in your life, the things that I have in my life, that that we bend the knee to and bow down to and worship. Like, how do they treat you? How do they make you feel? Think about those things that you submit to. And then listen to Jesus talk about submitting to him. In Matthew 11, he says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, which is something that you would lead an ox with, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus isn't calling you like out of freedom to submission. He's calling you out of submission to something that wants to hurt you and punish you and abuse you to bring you into, into a lovely and a gentle and a light and a peaceful and restful submission to him because he loves you. He doesn't set impossible standards that you could never meet. Um, he wants you to know him. And the reason why there's a battle for your submission is because, and some of you guys are going to realize this more and more, especially if you're a freshman, and some of, the, some of the seniors here can tell you about this. The things that you do, the activities that you perform, determine really who you are. After a while, like if you were created in God's image, if you, if you chase something that isn't God, it will remake you in its image. 
And it's not pretty. And some of you guys have been through that. Some of you guys are going to find out. There is a battle raging for your submission, but there's also a battle raging for your identity. And uh, who's a social work major in here? Where are my social work majors at? Okay. The classic social work major doesn't want to put their hand up because they don't want to be noticed, Um, which is a wonderful, beautiful thing. I want you to pay attention to this especially because you're going to be dealing in human dignity, right? That's going to be your job. Um, Sometimes I run. Sometimes you take my picture and put it on Facebook when I'm running. Um, As if it isn't like enough to be older than everybody and overweight a little bit. Um, But I don't run for fitness. I run for sanity um, because I'm an anxious person. And so I try to have this like running playlist that's like going to amp me up, you know. There's just like a lot of Destiny's Child on there. And um, I'm a survivor, baby. And, uh, but I have some songs from The Weeknd on there because The Weeknd is great and I love him. But when The Weeknd comes on, it's like, it's like power running with crying. Uh, there's a lot of crying that happens. Because The Weeknd is just too real for me. Um, so like the, the, like the Hills, that song is like bumping when I'm running. I'm just like the Eminem uh, remix of the Hills. I'm all over it. But um, yeah, there's this, this line. It says when when I'm when I'm effed up, that's the real me. Okay, you guys know this line. Um, and you guys are laughing at that. It's like dudes pouring out a soul. Come on, guys. Um, <laughs> but that makes that literally brings me to tears because when I'm wading through my own garbage. Like, when I've yelled at my children and I've been harsh with my wife, uh, and I'm just dealing with that, like, I start to believe in my hopelessness. This is really who I am. Like, this is the real me. Um, like, when, when I'm messed up, that's the real me. And Moses comes to Pharaoh. He says, let my people go. Pharaoh won't do it. He imposes harsh, even more harsh slavery on him. And when the foremen, like, the people who are, like, in charge of Israel come to Pharaoh and talk to him, they blame Moses for all this. Like, look in the passage. Look at verse 19. The former of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce reduce your number of bricks. And they met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them And they, as they came up from Pharaoh. And they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants. And you have put a sword in their hand. To kill us. Like, if you're reading this in the Hebrew, it's like literally like they didn't just come and talk. Like, they came and assaulted them, like attacked them, like like beat Moses and Aaron up because they're so angry at them because they think that it's Moses and Aaron's fault that this dude that's enslaving them is being even worse and more abusive to them. Because what happens to us is when we bend the knee to the, the world, the flesh, and the devil, when we bend our knee to sin, we start to believe things about ourselves that just aren't true. Um, they've been so abused by ungodly authority that they don't even recognize when God sends them a deliverer. They would rather reject him and accept their oppressor and accept their abuser. When they go in and talk to Pharaoh, we didn't read this, but they keep calling, them, keep calling themselves your servants. Like they want to be Pharaoh's servants. Um, They think that their rightful place in the world, because of their abuse, is to be insignificant slaves that you can just push around and bully and abuse and kill. That's who they are. 
They think they're insignificant. Um, I, I finished watching Making a Murderer. Sarah Jane and I finished watching it last week. And you, I understand you, if you've watched it, you have opinions. Um, but something that, that sort of gripped us as we were watching it was, uh, I won't give anything away about Making a Murderer. It's a documentary about um, a murder case. But the family in, in question are just sort of poor people that aren't really up and coming, like, like people that would think this is this is our like our civic leaders, uh, and there's a 16 year old kid uh, named Brendan Dassey who's on there, and at some point he is what seems like led to confess to something he didn't do. And as I was watching it, I was I was it was so painful because he's 16 years old, he's slow developmentally, and and you can tell he's awkward, and he's not charming. And he's not attractive. And he doesn't really know what's going on. And they are using him to the nth degree. And you know why? Because he doesn't matter. Like, he is insignificant. He is a person that does not matter in the grand scheme of things. I was listening to the radio whenever the Iowa caucuses were going on on Monday. It's like, I was listening to this guy on the radio. It's like, hey, you know, 3.2% of people that live in Iowa, the state of Iowa, are black. But 27% of the people that are locked up in Iowa are black. Uh, and that's true, like, all over our country. Um, that there are people all over the place that we deem as insignificant, that don't matter, um, but they matter to God. Because the Hebrews think that their rightful place in the world is as insignificant slaves, but they don't see themselves the way God sees them. Um, some of you all have experienced this when you have a friend who's like dating a person that doesn't treat them well, isn't doing right by them. And it, maybe this is you right now, and you're like, oh boy. Um, they keep telling me to break up. Um, and like, don't you just like want to scream at your friend like, they don't love you. Like, they don't care about you. Like, they treat you like garbage. And like, what do you end up saying to your friend like, they, they don't deserve you. Like, they don't deserve you. You're worth more than that, right? That's what you want to tell your friend. And Satan and sin tell us exactly what Pharaoh says. says, you're worthless. You're garbage. You deserve to be abused. You don't deserve to rest. You don't deserve peace. And God comes in. He hears our cry. And he remembers us. Like, think about how insignificant the Hebrews are in this scenario. Yet those are the ones that God is going to bat for. There are no worthless people to God. Um, I read this out of my kids' uh, children's Bible, so it must be true. Um, If you took the Milky Way galaxy, not a Milky Way bar, which sounds great right now, but the Milky Way galaxy, and you reduce it to the size of North America... Okay, so the galaxy that we live in, the size of North America, um, our solar system, like our sun and all the planets, would be the size of a coffee cup. Okay, North America, coffee cup. And Earth would be the size of a speck of dust in the cup. Okay, and there are like millions of potential galaxies in the universe, you understand? Okay, and listen to what David says in Psalm 8. He says, when I look at your heavens... The work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him. 
He says, you have made him a little lower than the angels and you have crowned him with glory and honor. Like, we are the things living on the speck of dust in the coffee cup in North America, yet God cares. And God himself actually responded to our slavery and oppression by becoming that insignificant person and the person of Jesus. Like, he entered into that. You matter to God. You matter so much, and you may not believe that. And my question for you is, are you going to continue to run toward insignificance? Or are you going to embrace the God that tells you that you matter? The God whose mind you fill? Um, and look, the reason why Pharaoh is winning Israel's hearts and minds, the reason why he's winning their imaginations... And the reason why he's winning, the sin is winning ours most of the time, I would say is because we've forgotten how to dream. This is, this is the last point. There's ultimately a battle waging, uh, raging for your imagination. Um, I don't know if you've ever thought about like, God wanting your imagination and dreams. But here we go. Um, look, look at the second part of your sheet there, chapter 6, verse 1. Moses tells the the leaders of Israel again, God says, now see what I'm going to do to Pharaoh. He's going to send you out. And with a strong hand, he's going to drive you out. He he, He tells them again, guys, this is going to happen. God's going to do it. And look at their response. And this is, please pay attention if you caught nothing else tonight. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses. Why? Because of their broken spirit and their harsh slavery. The reason why they can't imagine God doing this thing for them is because they've been broken. Their harsh slavery has literally made it so they can't imagine God rescuing them. And this isn't like a pie in the sky thing. The God who spoke all of those millions of galaxies into existence just by speaking, they know that's who God is. He says, I'm going to bring you out. That's not like from Dumb and Dumber. It's like, you know, all those IOUs. Like this one's for a Lamborghini. You're going to want to hold on to that one. This thing's as good as cash, you know. Um, this is as sure as it possibly could get. They know who their God is and what he's done and what he can do. But their imaginations are not engaged because Egypt was set up in such a way that it dominated your dreams. Like if you think about even what exists, say the statues, the pyramids, in that day everything would have been gold, everything would have been painted, the headdresses, the, the pomp and circumstances, everything. Like if you've ever been to a cathedral, like a beautiful, like if you've gone to Europe or you've gone to Macon, Georgia, my hometown is a beautiful cathedral in Macon. Um, but seriously. Um, and you walk in, it's sort of like overwhelming to your senses. Um, and you're like, it engages your imagination without you even trying. That pales in comparison to Egypt in its prime. And for the Israelites, that feels more real to them than what God is saying. And think again about, about the, Hearst, the Damien Hurst shark. Um, you know that this thing is true, that this thing is dead, that it has been killed. Yet you, your mind cannot wrap around that reality. And for the Israelites, they know that God's going to rescue them, but they cannot wrap their mind around that they could not imagine being free. You follow me? Um, and a big part of the reason why you don't, if you're a Christian, 
A big part of the reason why you don't feel any progress and growth in Jesus is it because you can't imagine what that would be like? Like, you can't imagine what it would be like to be free from your sin. Um, because all these powerful things are all over our senses. Think about how pornography works. Um, I know no one in here struggles with that, so we're, we're safe, right? Um, you have these good, God-given desires for sex, intimacy, friendship, connection, right? Um, desires that are there to connect you with God and connect you with one another, okay? Those are real and true and good desires. And porn grabs that, those desires, those good things, and it allows your heart to imagine all the millions of ways that you could get that thing that you want on your terms, um, it literally engages your dreams. Like, and you could spend years, this is why they're called fantasies, right? You could spend years thinking of all the different ways to pursue pleasure. But the place that your imagination goes is not real. It's like literally virtual. Um, you disconnect with what is true for the fantasy, Right? And whenever you disconnect from reality, you begin to hurt yourself, to abuse yourself, and to hurt other people around you. Because you think you're enjoying pleasure with the person on the screen. But you know that's not true. Um, you're actually withholding love from that person. And withholding love from yourself. And you're dehumanizing that person and dehumanizing yourself. You're abusing them and abusing yourself. And godly desires never lead to abuse. Ever. Godly desires always lead to flourishing and peace. And so the world, the flesh, and the devil engage our imagination to disconnect you from reality, if that makes sense. Okay? But the way God uses our imagination, like sin distracts you from what's really worth imagining, if that makes sense. Like sin says, I'm going to get into your imagination and tell you that the things you want aren't good things. God engages our imagination to root you in what's real and what is really worth imagining. Part, this is part of what's beautiful about the movie Hook, if you've ever seen Hook. Um, there's this scene. Look, I just did a poll of how many people have actually seen Hook. Okay, good. Because I, I had a moment earlier where I was like afraid that nobody had seen Hook. Uh, if you haven't seen Hook, shame on you. My three-year-old daughter has seen Hook, okay? So, let's go. Um, there's this scene where the lost boys in Neverland are eating a meal. You guys remember this scene? And to Peter, Robin Williams, they appear to be eating nothing. They're like opening these pots and there's nothing in them, and there's like they're like gobbling everything up, right? And they're like they're like really like enjoying this food. And he's like, guys, there's no food there, right? But the problem with Peter is that he's literally forgotten how to believe. He's forgotten how to dream. They're eating real food. Okay, you follow me? Like, he's wrong. It's real food. And once he begins to engage his imagination, he realizes that's real food. They're doing something real, and I was missing it because I didn't believe. Because my imagination wasn't there. Because believing with your imagination unlocks what's really true. And this is where this is all leading up to and where I'm landing on this point. Hebrews 11 says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. 
And when you hear that, you think faith is faith in something that doesn't exist. And what I'm telling you is that when just because something is invisible doesn't mean it's less real. It actually probably means that it's more real. Like if you're here tonight and you, and you doubt God, and I'm like right there with you, and I have a lot of doubts, and I'd love to talk about them. And you're like, and I'm like, hey, God is invisible because God is, in fact, invisible. And you're like, well, it kind of makes it harder to believe in him, right? Because he's invisible. It seems like he's probably less real. What if God's invisibility isn't like a net loss to him, but a net gain? Because he's not something that you can just perceive with your senses. He's something that you have to literally dream about. Because his reality is so much bigger and greater. And your senses are not sufficient to take in such a thing. But your imagination can begin to do that. Um, The Panthers are playing in the Super Bowl on Sunday, which I love. Um, Because I'm a huge Auburn Tiger fan. And Cameron Newton won me a national championship. And for that, I will be forever grateful. The closest I've ever come to loving another man romantically is Cameron Newton. And... um, And I think, like, if you're gonna if you're gonna land on somebody, that's the great thought. Um, but the reason why the Panthers are so fun, and the reason why they're so loose, and the reason they play so well is because they can imagine winning. Like, they can have a great time celebrate after a first down because they can imagine. Like, I have no doubt that they will win handily on Sunday, because I, I loved hearing Cam just last week say, "Everything that has happened in me, I have imagined." For years and years and years. And now I'm just living the things that I imagined. Because he believed that they were true. They play loose and they have fun. Because he believed in something that he could not yet see. And you look at your life. I'm going to tell you what you see. You see the porn that you just looked at. You see the guy or the girl that you just hooked up with. You see the, the person that you just gossiped about you see the meal that you just threw up you see the world the flesh and the devil and you want to believe that you are a failure because that's what you see and that's what you perceive but what would it look like for God to engage your imagination and focus you instead not on what you think you are but who God is and what he could make you like who you could be what if that's who you really are Like, how could things change if you stopped bowing to an abusive master and instead fell before a good and gentle king who is true? Where would your life go if you stopped believing your rightful place is in your destructive habits? But you actually saw yourself as an adopted son or daughter of Jesus. Um, And can you imagine what God might do in your life on our campus and throughout eternity if you were free? Can you even imagine being free? Uh, I want to leave you with a quote from a book called The Awesome Book. And if you're going to end anything with a quote, it should be from The Awesome Book. Um, And let this be an encouragement to you to think about Jesus and think about what he might do in you. Dream a dream as big as big could ever dream to be. Then dream a dream ten times as big as that one dream you see, do you know that God wants to do abundantly more in and through you than you could ever think or imagine? What would it look like for you to love God with your imagination? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you um, that you're good, that you care about our hearts, um, that you care about our dreams. Help us to see you truly, not to trust what we think we see, 
but to look to you and so be changed and have joy and peace. Lord, rescue us. Free us, we pray in Jesus' name.